0: Welcome to Great American Daytona, the podcast that lets you relive the most memorable, exciting, and historic moments in Daytona International Speedway history. Rick and everybody—they figured everything right to the fraction. I drafted, 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 and it paid off. The Daytona 500 is ours. We've won it. We've won it. We've won we it. Oh, Mikey, you got it, man! You, got, you, it, got, it, you got, got it! You got it! You got it! You got it! You got it! Got it. it. You got it. Oh, it. Here they From come! Morgan down to the line. Davey Allison first, Morgan Shepard gets it all back there. Has he got anything left? Coming to the strike. Morgan comes to the inside and Davey Allison is going to win the Daytona 500. Narrated by our assortment of hosts from RacingRefresh.com, Great American Daytona will entertain through the highs and educate through the lows. Welcome to Season 1, where we highlight Daytona 500s of the last 30 years. The sun was beaming bright over Daytona Beach, Florida. High winds over 20 miles an hour whistled over 150,000 great American spectators at the famed Daytona International Speedway. Fans who weren't able to attend were welcomed warmly over the airways of television and radio. The stage was set. The most memorable, and eventually, the most infamous moment in American motorsports was about to take place. It was February 18th, 2001. The day racing changed. Part 1 Television. Officially announced on Thursday, ESPN and ABC will broadcast about half of next year's Winston Cup races, but after that, you're going to have to look elsewhere, because NASCAR has signed a six-year contract with NBC and Turner Sports, and an eight-year agreement with Fox and its FX cable network effective with the 2001 season. Fox and NBC will rotate coverage of the Daytona 500, with Fox carrying the 500 in 2001. The new contract estimated to be worth more than $2 billion. 2.4 billion dollars. That's billion with a B. You heard that right. No, no, we aren't talking about net worth of the Amazonians or the Teslamites. In this case, 2.4 billion is the cost that NASCAR charged for television coverage for their 2001 season. The 1990s tech innovation wave allowed for cable television viewers to enjoy stock car racing in new ways, and every major sports network wanted a piece of the pie when NASCAR's television deal ran out at the end of the 2000 season. Primarily, CBS Sports was responsible for dispatching many of the greatest moments in racing television history at that time, this included the first flag-to-flag race ever broadcast, the 1979 Daytona 500. And, and there's a fight between Cale Yarborough and Donnie Allison. The tempers overflowing. They're angry. They know they have lost, and what a bitter defeat. CBS covered men. racing for decades and was respected by the fans and drivers to provide entertainment that wasn't biased. As the negotiations between NASCAR and the networks continued, Tampa Bay Times' Ernest Hooper reported that CBS was unable to contend with the other networks because NASCAR wanted events to air live over the air rather than on cable. His interview with then-CBS sports president Sean McManus quoted the business leader in saying, NASCAR, rightfully so, wanted as many races as they could get on network television, They were very upfront about that. We've got a lot of golf, a lot of college basketball, we've got the NFL, and college football in the fall. We couldn't accommodate more than eight, maybe nine races on network television. With longtime partner CBS out of the picture, there was going to be a new era of sports coverage. An agreement between Fox and FX, and a combined NBC-TNT-Turner Sports partnership was settled upon. Rights to every nationally sanctioned NASCAR race from 2001 to 2006. This included then-marketed NASCAR Winston Cup, NASCAR Bush Grand National, and NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series events. Longtime radio partners MRN and PRN and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway recommence their radio broadcasts without interruption, stopping only 10 seconds here or there. For station identification. The arrangement provided Fox with broadcasting rights to the first half of the season and NBC with the second half. The Daytona 500 would be the only irregularity, with the network's alternating coverage for the season opener. Fox broadcasted the Speedweek's events in the first year. At the midway point, NBC would take over with a similar pomp and circumstance. They were going to need to rehearse and practice perfectly to match what Fox was setting up for in the first half. Fox enlisted a team of professionals ranging from past broadcasters and writers to crew chiefs and race car legends. They created the Hollywood Hotel, a traveling TV set that promoted their brand and provided additional coverage opportunities throughout the week iconic sports hosts ranging from Ken Squire to Fox's golden host Chris Myers shared coverage duties before and after Fox broadcasts. In the booth to call the race was expert motorsports analyst and automotive enthusiast Mike Joy. He was partnered with two future broadcasting legends, the down-to-earth but sophisticated Larry McReynolds and the wild and energetic Daryl Waltrip. McReynolds was nicknamed America's Crew Chief and was trusted by the fans due to his past success with drivers such as Davey Allison and Dale Earnhardt Sr. Waltrip was a three-time NASCAR Cup driving champion. He often challenged the past tradition of broadcast calmness when on air. He made funny words like boogity and coopetition and frequently used ongoing speech patterns to keep the fans laughing at home. This three-man team used precise techniques to provide a variety of communication to the fans tuning in. Part 2. Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. It is more than customary for powerhouse teams to be present in the world of racing in the 2020s. In the 1990s and 2000s, it was far less frequent there were still multi-car teams, many of the big names you see today. What made it different, however, was the small and independent teams usually had a great chance of finishing near the front every week. Seven-time champion Dale Earnhardt Sr. raced the majority of his professional career driving Chevrolets for car owner Richard Childress. He is remembered best for his final era with the team in which he drove in all black, number three GM Goodwrench Services Chevrolet Monte Carlo, in the late 1990s, he began seriously investing in his long-term team, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, simply slanged DEI. DEI won two Truck Series championships in 1996 and 1998, piloted by NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday and back-to-back Grand National, now Xfinity championships in 1998 and 1999 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. behind the wheel. During these years of dominance, the team was preparing for a mammoth growth. DEI signed their former Grand National driver, Steve Park, to a part-time turned full-time opportunity in the Winston Cup with premier sponsor oil. Park had three past victories in the Grand National Division before his full-time cup opportunity. His results overall were average. His biggest break came in the 2000 season, when he won his first career event at Watkins Glen, a track where three years prior, he had made his cup debut. Mark Mark remains a couple of car lengths behind. Straight away and two more and then the checkered flag. Boy, both of those drivers just absolutely driving their heart out. I'm telling you what, you get everything they possibly have in their body trying to get to the victory lane. Through turn number 10. One more to go. And Steve Park is going to do it. Steve Park is going to win
1: the Global Crossing at the Glen.
0: Winning a road course race in that era was regularly considered a mark of exceptional talent. Drivers and teams didn't have the resources or interest needed to focus on the lone two road course races on their 36 race schedule. Around this time, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was given a homogenous career opportunity. Once again, a premium sponsor this time in Budweiser joined him for a part-time venture that also turned full-time. In the 2000 season, he earned his first career victory in the Winston Cup Series at Texas Motor Speedway for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Eyal, don't you know his heart's beating harder than that car is running right now His grandfather Ralph former national champion they called him Ironheart because he gave nothing on the racetrack his father. Seven-time Winston Cup champion, once dubbed Iron Head, and then the Intimidator. He and can, how about this kid? He can coast on now, my Checkered flag, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is Texas North Speedway's second first-time Winston Cup winner. His race car was painted similarly, with both having three stripes painted on either side of Earnhardt or Park's car. On the left, they looked like the letter E for Earnhardt, and on the right... They were a number three, Earnhardt's number. The team was quickly taking over. Dale Earnhardt Jr. was also fast becoming one of the most accepted auto racers in the world within just his first couple of seasons. A combination of his father's past success, as well as his party-it-up sponsor and attitude, introduced him to the world on new mediums that NASCAR racers were not used to. Dale Sr. recognized the marketing success that his team had accomplished. Through the advanced leadership from his closest executives such as Ty Norris and Max Siegel, the team debated the opportunity to expand. Napa Auto Parts, who was the sponsor for DEI's truck series success with Ron Hornaday, was also interested in a larger marketing opportunity. The two brands promoted themselves to a third entry in NASCAR's Cup Series. At this time, teams with more than two cars were few and far between. Hendrick and Roush were oftentimes the lone super teams. With this unbound decision, DEI and Napa faced a new challenge, selecting their third driver. Part 3. Michael Waltrip Michael Waltrip pursued racing from his childhood. He spent years idolizing his older brother of nearly 18 years, Daryl. Their age difference allowed him to see Daryl as a hero in many ways rather than a sibling. Daryl was winning races nearly every weekend in the top level and eventually won NASCAR's Winston Cup Series championship three times. As Michael grew up, he raced bicycles, race cars, and even ran races on his own two feet, competing in famed distance marathons. He won almost every auto race series that he entered as he worked his way through the ranks. Although he pictured Darrell as racing royalty, it was NASCAR's king, Richard Petty, who encouraged Michael to make the jump into the elite cup series. He had past experience in xfinity and Goody's dash series where he was a champion and his talents proved he was ready for the big jump what became a five race deal with dick bear his first chance was established in 1985 and he made his debut at the world 600. big brother daryl won that day on the broadcast michael was introduced to the fans for the first time as Mike Waltrip, Daryl's brother. Mike Waltrip, Daryl's brother, makes his first grand national start today. The Waltrip brothers' relationship wasn't necessarily poor, but they weren't particularly close until they became racers together. One of the most interesting things that they shared was a connection with the previously mentioned Dale Earnhardt Sr. Daryl and Dale were heated rivals for decades, They cussed and crashed together, they lost and laughed together. The two men at one point were staunch enemies in the 1980s. Through the years, their competitive nature never ended, but they did develop a respect and even had the opportunity to race for each other. Michael connected with Earnhardt and year by year became a close companion and friend of Earnhardt's. They traveled together, worked on the Earnhardt property, enjoyed meals with their wives, it was brotherly. It was Michael's connection to these prestigious men that kept him interested in a career of defeat. Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Darrell Waltrip, combined to win 17 of NASCAR's first 50 championships, 10 Daytona 500s, and 360 victories in cup races. Michael loved and admired all of them as racers, champions, and men. Could he have ever achieved accolades among them? From 1985 to 2000, Michael Waltrip started and lost 462 consecutive races. No driver had ever won a race after losing 462 times. He battled a combination of challenges from the press, fans, and his own inner demons at times that made him question if he was really as great as he had always believed. He would chat with his closest friends for reassurance. Dale Earnhardt promised Michael Waltrip that if they ever had the opportunity to work together, Waltrip would win. At the end of the 2000 season, Waltrip's contract with his current team, Jimmy Smith's number seven, had come to an end. Earnhardt called Waltrip and asked for an impromptu meeting. Napa Auto Parts, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, and Chevrolet were prepared to sign their driver. They wanted Michael. Part 4. The Race A new three-dimensional animated intro video with an exciting theme song roared across television screens as fans turned into the Fox pre-race show for the event. The pre-race show was heavily funded by Dodge, who had returned to the sport in 2001 after a several-year-long hiatus. Their driver, Bill Elliott, qualified pole prior to the event. Welcome to the Dodge pre-race show the announcer said. Highlight shots from the drivers' meeting started the broadcast, but it wasn't a Dodge driver that graced the viewer's screen. A nearly foreshadowing image of NASCAR's man in black, Dale Earnhardt sat calm, chewing gum, and focused as he absorbed information from NASCAR leadership prior to the race. Fox Television knew he was the favorite to win the event. History, speed, excitement, it's all here, announced Chris Myers. He introduced colleagues Jeff Hammond and Daryl Waltrip, who repeatedly emphasized that the race would be special, remembered forever, intense, exciting, etc. The seated analysts handed broadcasting duties to the gentlemen standing upstairs for further commentary. The first was Mike Joy, who famously shouted in 1998 as Dale Earnhardt won his first Daytona 500. The second, Larry McReynolds, a former famed Earnhardt crew chief. A handful of driver interviews took place. Then, as usual, calm and friendly Dale Earnhardt Sr., with his feet up, took an interview. He answered a handful of questions and finished his interview by saying, you'll see something you've probably hadn't ever seen on Fox. The show continued with engaging features and interviews, then the Fox team selected their winning drivers. Two picked Dale Earnhardt Sr., one picked Michael Waltrip. Pieces of the puzzle were there. Fans and media knew the Earnhardt and Waltrip connection was a special circumstance. The Lord's Prayer had prayed, and the anthem had sang. It was go time. The green flag flew. Leader after leader took the point and what could be remembered as one of the most competitive races in stock car competition. Bill Elliott, Mark Martin, Sterling Marlin, Dale Earnhardt, senior and junior, Dale Jarrett, Steve Park, Bobby Labonte, Mike Skinner. 14 drivers held the lead through the event. The race was mostly one of endurance. On lap 49 of 51, Jeff Purvis crashed, and a two-car wreck on lap 158 happened as well. Those were the only things that kept the race from staying green all day long. Green flag pit strategy highlighted horsepower, and a race that claimed only two blown motors, a rare feat at that time. Young gun Tony Stewart led the most laps overall and seemed by the halfway point to be the man to beat. Unfortunately, on lap 175, everyone's day changed quickly. A 19-car pileup claimed many of the leaders of the race, including Steve Park, who had just been leading five laps prior, and young sensation Tony Stewart, who flipped down the backstretch. The crash caused the red flag to wave, and a nearly Hollywood-scripted scenario began to unfold. Michael Waltrip was leading, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in second, and their boss, Dale Earnhardt Sr., was in third. It has since been shared by both Waltrip and Dale Jr. that this was very well predicted to be the end of the event by Earnhardt Sr. throughout the week's event. The race resumed with few laps remaining. Dale Earnhardt Jr. led lap 177 through 181. Sterling Marlin led the 182nd lap. Dale Earnhardt Sr. led lap 183. Michael Waltrip successfully took the lead on lap 184 and was followed by his teammate Dale Earnhardt Jr. while the two drivers worked as a tag team. Their car owner Dale Earnhardt Sr. Fought off every challenger in third place as if he was in a hornet's nest. He made dangerous moves and contact on more than one occasion with challenging race cars. As the laps winded down, a familiar face and a familiar voice was on the Fox broadcast. It seamlessly took over. Man, we're down to nine to go. Eight when they come back. Eight to come. I'm telling you, boys. Michael, you're in the best place you've ever been in, But Hold her there. That's a good place when you got two teammates right behind you, I can tell you that. And they want, a, they want one of those cars to win, and he's in the front. Daryl, with a lap to go, does anybody have a teammate? When it comes to- Michael's older brother, Daryl, who wasn't always known for her as being serious, worked a respectable and professional broadcast up to that point. In the final laps of the race, his tone and demeanor changed. Big Brother Daryl became a cheerleader. He gave his brother instructions that could never have been heard, but yet somehow were followed. He shouted to his younger brother, block his teammate Dale Jr. in the final laps. The entire Fox team had a brief moment of fandom. The drivers took the white flag and Daryl became more emotional. Jeff Hammond, who earlier in the day predicted Michael would win, could be heard out of the studio chanting, come on, bring it back. As the Fox team wooed and celebrated what was going to be remembered as one of the biggest upset victories in their sports history, we only now know things were about to change. If he can survive this run, he'll be okay. Nobody's doing anything. They're all yeah, holding in. Go get him! Come on, buddy. One to go. The last lap. One to go, buddy. Keep it low, Mikey. Keep it low. Don't let them under you. Make that back straight away wide, buddy. Get all over the place. Don't let them run up on you. Come on, man. Come on now. Watch it, Mirror. Watch it. He's gonna make a run inside. Block him. Block him. That a boy. Three wide behind them. You got him, Mikey. You got him, man. You got him. Come on, man. Come on, baby. Come on. Get him, the the a, baby. get him in the fold. Get him in the fold. The three cars huh? out. Oh! Oh! Big trouble. Big oh, wreck behind lead them. Back. Be lead him back. Come on. To the flag. Come on, Mikey. Come on, you got on. it, man. You got, you got it. it. You got, got it. it. You, oh, got you got it. You got it. Mikey! All right! All right! Michael Walter wins. All right! That's a delivery! In turn four of the final lap of the Daytona 500, NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt made contact with other drivers that resulted in a head-on collision that would take his life. He was pronounced dead at Halifax Medical Center later that night. In the exact moments of this tragic crash, Darrell Waltrip unknowingly screamed in joy as his baby brother approached the finish line. You got it, man. You got it. You got it, Mikey. That's a television dream come true. The most emotional moment in the Waltrip family racing story took place when Michael crossed the finish line. Only 33 seconds had passed after the finish of the race, and Mike Joy asked Daryl if it was greater watching his younger brother win the race than winning it himself. Daryl? Is this better than winning it? Tell better this is great i just hope was okay i guess he's all right, isn't he oh michael man. walter takes off the helmet drops the window net and he's about to get the best ride in racing man the daytona 500 victory lane my daddy would be so happy man part five part five redemption, redemption. It was the story like a motion picture, Chris Myers reminded us. Dale Earnhardt promised fans that they would see something on Fox like never before. Dale Earnhardt Incorporated rehearsed like a professional wrestling match, the near-perfect finish. The greatest and worst moments of Michael Waltrip's life happened in a matter of seconds that day. In July of 2001 the sport returned to Daytona for the first time since the tragic loss of Earnhardt. NBC took over broadcasting rights beginning with that race. Their crew, led by veteran analyst Alan Bestwick, shared in the closing lap the greatest moment in time ever recorded in a NASCAR race. Dale Earnhardt Jr. won that night. In second, Michael Waltrip. And Dale Earnhardt Incorporated was back on top. This has been a broadcast of RacingRefresh.com, Appeal 5, LLC, 2022.